The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I'm Annette Comer, your host, and each week the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. This woman lost her father when she was six years old. Her mother remarried, and the next eight years, she was abused by a stepfather. And as a young woman, she couldn't wait to leave home and be on her own. Even though her start in life was rocky, her sights for herself were set high. She wanted to be a doctor and help others, but her path wasn't easy. Her first marriage didn't work out, and she made some mistakes as she moved toward a thriving career in medicine but she never gave up on what was possible for her. Today, she serves as a medical director over a clinic of 85 doctors and is on a path to greatness as a leader and as a caring physician. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Vanessa Peters. Hi, Dr. Vanessa. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Annette. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, we're going to have a lot of fun and you have so much wisdom that I want to uncover. So let's get started. Your career choice has you playing in what is often a male-dominated space, and obviously you've been very successful. So what are your secrets to being able to maneuver such an environment with power and grace? Yeah, good question. While medicine is now 50% female in its practitioners, and even a little bit heavy on the female side for the advanced practitioners, which are physician assistants and nurse practitioners, the executive level is still male dominated. And I found that being in control of the clinic and what happens to our doctors and what's going on behind the scenes was very important to me, more important than I realized when I was younger. And I find that being able to be diplomatic and kind, but firm in meetings with other physicians, many of them are obviously doctors, uh, was, was a really important step and caring. Um, a lot of the uh, male executives don't seem to really have that empathy that females bring to the table. And do you find that the male doctors, do they find that empathy comfortable for them or do they find it uncomfortable? Then they settle in. How do you, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, at first they they might be a little bit like, why would you even think about what the other side is feeling or, or thinking? And um, I don't understand the point, but if I push my agenda, so to speak, they're like, oh, well, actually, that, that kind of makes sense. So I'm not working with, you know, a bunch of, um, you know, male, you know, chauvinists, or, or, or they're not very egotistical, they're, they're bound to come around if I show my side of things. So it does well, work and, out. And, and I'm going to dig a little deeper on this, because I think that most men, whether they're in the medical field, or in some other type of leadership role, do want the best for their clients and for their patients and for the world. You know, sometimes I think it's kind of our responsibility as executive uh, women leaders that we almost have to educate them on how it can be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of seen that. So let me go into the personal space just for a second. For a period of time, you were married to an alcoholic and you told me this created a dual life for you and often kept you playing small. Explain what this dual life looked like for you and what did you have to get yourself positioned to reach higher levels of success? Yeah. When I was going through uh, medical school, I couldn't get close to my friends in medical school. And I still have pangs of regret to this day that they would get together at the time. This was in the the late 90s. ER was a big show then. And they would have a weekly party where they would watch ER. 
and I would never go. And you might ask, well, why not? It was a, a codependence issue that I had that if I wanted to go somewhere, my husband would say, well, what am I going to do? And I would fall into the trap of, oh, I'll stay home and hang out with you and watch TV while you smoke pot and drink. And I really regret that life that I led. When I moved down to the United States after graduation and began practicing, it became the stakes got higher because in medical school, if somebody knew that I had an alcoholic at home, like, you know, those are my peers. But here I'm at work. I have patients. I live and work in my community. And it terrified me, honestly. And I didn't realize how big the stakes actually were until he had DUI. And he was at a a store buying liquor at a corner store and he was drunk. He had a a big Ford truck and he uh, got in the truck and someone said, hey, you're drunk. And he got in the car and he drove away, his truck and drove away. And the person followed him. So they ensued a chase. I'm assuming they called the police at the same time. We only lived maybe three miles away from the store. I get a call from him frantic on my cell phone that he's being chased or I don't know what he was saying, but I was like, oh my God. And I looked out the window of our house and he streaks by, you know, on this residential street at like 60 miles an hour and ended up stopping at the end of the of the block. His mom happened to be in town that day, his ultimate protector. And I walked down to the corner and I saw him sitting on the bumper of the car drunk. He had his, you know, his face was just like, you know, flaccid, like they get when they're really drunk. And I, I know that look, you know, I, I know all of his stages of drunkenness and I saw him and I saw the people surrounding him. There was a big crowd surrounding him. And I recognized one of the women in the crowd as my patient. And I turned and I walked away. I did not engage. I just walked back to the house. I said, I'm going to let the police take care of this. And his mom, they can take care of it. It turns out he almost hit that woman that I knew walking her dog on the corner when he made a sharp turn. And that was the day that I decided that this was no more. I was not going to put up with this anymore because he, of course, ended up, you know, with a DUI and all the legal things that occur with that. But I realized that he could take me down. He could take down everything I worked for um, in a legal battle if he had injured somebody, for example. And that I made the shift in my mind that at that point that protecting him or whatever I was doing, the reason I was staying was stupid and I needed to go. And within the next year, I had left him. So I was thinking as you were sharing your your story that I think that we as women, especially driven women, we often don't realize how the mate that we're with, how it reflects on how we're showing up. Not only how maybe how we're behaving, but how others are perceiving us. I've really noticed that with some of the the women that I coach. They have men that are very out of sync with where they are going in their career. And it becomes a problem. It really does. Absolutely. I used to make excuses all the time. You know, people would ask, well, what's your husband do? Or, you know, why doesn't he have a job? And I always had an excuse in my pocket. Well, he doesn't have a visa where, you know, he's from Canada and da da da. But, you know, the truth was that he couldn't work either way. And it was embarrassing. It was, it was, I was very ashamed. Yeah, I guarantee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can guarantee. So I'm going to stay in this personal space for a second. So as a mother of a young son, you have had to put support systems in place to make it possible to be a good mother and a powerful executive. So what kind of support systems do you feel women like yourself should seek if they want to experience success in both areas? That's a great question. Um, I think as women, we feel like we can do it all. And 
we are amazing. We are badass. You know, we can get stuff done, but sometimes it's at our own expense. So it's really important to seek help and not be the perfect mom and the perfect executive and the perfect doctor. In my case, for example, if the school wants you to bring something, whether it's cookies or something like that for a bake sale, just get them at the store, do something easy. You don't have to make the like perfectly decorated cupcakes with the frosting and stuff like that. Just do what is the most efficient thing at the time and call it a day. You know, don't worry about what the other mothers might think about what you've done. Also having a supportive spouse is super important and having someone that understands if you're going to be a little bit late in the evening and, you know, hopefully they'll be able to help you around the house a lot. You know, like we have a division of labor in the household at my house and it's some things I do better. Sometimes he does better. And it's important that we have our roles and to have a husband that doesn't begrudge us for, you know, how busy that we are. And if need be getting outside help, you know, we had a nanny when my son was a baby, she was amazing and could put him to sleep so much better than any of us. And, you know, getting whatever you need to help make sure that you're taking care of yourself and you're not just burning the candle at both ends, staying up late and getting up early. Cause, because then, you know, like you're not taking care of yourself. You can't take care of your job and your family. Do you think, Dr. Vanessa, that we as women sometimes, especially uh, driven women, do you feel like we sometimes get caught in the, the cycle that we're the only ones that can do it so well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've had to work on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my husband, I got to say, he's not the best cook. And he claims that he can cook. He's like, I used to cook before I met you, but I'm kind of picky. And if he makes something and it's not that great, um, it's just become an understanding between us that I probably do the cooking. But he does the laundry always. He mostly does the dishes. Now that I have a son who's nine, he also does the dishes. He takes out the trash. He takes care of most of the house, arranges the cleaners, you know, stuff like that. We, But like, say, for example, he, he does something that bugs me and I just have to let it go. And that's it. He likes to run the dishwasher when, there, when it's, there's nothing in it, hardly, you know, like it's like <laughs> he throws a few things in there and he wants to run it every day. And I get it. It's going to be cleaner, but I'm like, you're wasting energy and water. But, you know, I just have to let it go. And if he loads it all wrong and puts a dish in that wasn't scrubbed properly, and then I have to go back and scrub it after, I'm not going to complain too much because he's helping. And so we have to be careful as women that we support the roles they step into and not tear them down for it because they're not doing it as we think it should be done. Right. Because we come with a lot of masculine energy as, you know, type A women. And we really need to be careful to not squash our spouse's masculine and come in with a more feminine approach, a little more open, a little more, you know, thank you, sweetie. I love you so much. I appreciate you. And because if you come in bitchy, you know, you're going to, you're going to turn them off and it also affects your relationship. Yeah. I've had to work on that myself. I have to admit, and I don't even know I'm doing it until I see him bristle up and push back hard. And I'll think, Ooh, I didn't mean to come across that way. So I've been very careful, even of the tone of voice that I use. Absolutely. And when we come home from work where we've been boss lady all day, it's easy to stay in that role, you know, you're home and you get in and you're like, Hey, what's going on? And you know, Right. Have you done? Right. I like. I do. That, I do that with my son. I'm like, have you done your homework yet? And you know, I, I try to take a breath before I step in the house and 
just try to step into their world and try to leave the other world behind. Right, right, right. I, yeah. And we're not saying that's easy, but it's, it makes a happier household if you're able to do that, for sure. That's, yeah. So I want to explore a decision that you have made to seek more time with your family while striving to become wealthy. So what have you figured out that you can share with other professionals seeking the same? So it, it was about three years ago. I was vacationing with my family in Minnesota. We have some family there. We had rented some bikes and we were riding around a lake. And it was this smooth gravel path with trees that were kind of growing over. It was a shady summer day and it smelled marvelous. And, and it was just so nice. And the boys were up ahead on their bikes laughing and the parent, the adults were kind of in the back. And I was at the back of the pack and I was just like, I had this feeling come over me. And I was like, what is that feeling? I was like, oh, that's contentment. That is pure contentment. And it was sort of like, duh. But I realized how happy I was at that moment. And it created a quest, a quest to get that feeling back. I realized I didn't have enough contentment in my life. I'm so driven and busy. That's what I spend most of my time doing. When we do relax, sometimes I'm a little antsy. I, you know, if we're hanging out at the beach. I'm like, oh, I want to go for a walk. I want to do something. I've got too much energy and I don't get into the moment. And, you know, checking my watch, how much longer we're going to stay, that kind of thing. <laughs> When's this going to be over? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, what's wrong with me? Well, I'm sometimes adults don't have enough fun. And, you know, it's important for us to seek out fun, whatever that is for you. And for me, I realized that biking around that lake was so fun. And I just, and I used to be an avid bicyclist when I was in Canada. I was a, I would commute on my bike. We would mountain bike, you know, that kind of stuff. And so in a weird turn of events, I guess, you know, one chance thing can change your life. I decided that I needed a house around a lake that I could bike around. It was that literal to me that I started looking for a place where I could do that. And of course, in California, we don't have a lot of flat lakes with green stuff around it. So I started looking and I thought, you know, Tahoe, that's the place to go. I'd never been there, but I heard there was there was a lake there. So, so I went looking for this lake and um, found a property that I could purchase. And it was like an Airbnb. And that really triggered this whole journey that one didn't work out because there were permits needed and I couldn't get a permit, you know, et cetera. But it started me down the path of real estate investing and realizing that I wanted to have another source of income that was passive. I needed to separate my time from my earnings because I was trading time for money and we all do that. But I wanted to have another source of income that wasn't related to my time with the fact that I want to spend more time with my family. So that's what started me on my real estate investing journey. and where I am today. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. And I, I, I discovered the same and it really gives you a sense of control and freedom in so many ways, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you recognize your strength lies in your ability to getting to the truth of things through the questions you ask. So what kind of questions can other women leaders ask if they want to uncover the truth within people? Well, when you're talking to other folks, it's important to be curious, to be truly curious and to pay attention. So I interview people all day long. That's what doctors do is we, we talk to patients. And I really love seeing new patients because I just, I really get to dive in and ask them about themselves, you know, and I find myself really wanting to know, you know, where do you live? Where did you grow up? 
how many siblings do you have? And what do you do for work? And things like that. So if you want to get answers from people, you need to know them and just ask simple questions until you understand. I also do a lot of dermatology and some of those are my favorite visits because we get to just, I get to chat with people uh, about other things, you know, because I'm busy doing a procedure that takes 30 minutes, for example. And it's really fun to get to know people without an agenda per se. So many times we meet people and we just kind of want to know, can you help me? Can you do anything for me? Versus just who are you? So, so what I'm hearing you say, it's not the magic is not in the actual question itself. The magic is coming from an authentic place of curiosity. And then the questions flow naturally. Absolutely. Try and find something that you don't understand about them and um, ask them in a polite way. You know, like, for example, I might ask someone what they do for a living and they're an engineer or something like that. And they tell me and I'm like, I don't even know what you just said. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please elaborate on that? Or like, what does that mean? What do you do? I don't know. And they're happy to talk about themselves. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. Yes, this is true, isn't it? It certainly is. So to be a high achiever and not burn out, self-care is so important. So how do you protect yourself from burnout? And do you know when you're performing at your best? So the early hours of the morning are my peak time. That is when I am the most productive. And I went through a phase where I read a zillion productivity books, um, you know, probably about five years ago. And so I know the rule about doing the hardest tasks at the beginning of the day. And for me, getting up early is when I was is when I do my best. So I need to make sure that that's possible, which means going to bed at a reasonable hour. And usually I try to get eight to eight and a half hours of sleep per night. That keeps me going. People say, how do you do so much stuff? Well, it's because I don't stay up till midnight working on stuff. I know a lot of women do that because their kids are asleep and it's the only time they have. And I, I totally understand. But the morning is, is for me better. Taking care of myself through something that I enjoy that feels good every day is important as well. For me, meditating, even for 10 minutes in the morning when it's quiet, is very centering. And I have a little playlist on Spotify that's only 12 minutes long, and I try to do that every day. And taking a hot bath at night is another thing that just really helps me. Uh, sometimes I just close my eyes, other times I just zone out on my phone or read a magazine, but it's important to do things that, that make you feel good inside. Getting out in nature is another thing. Mm. Um, and I'm, you know, I love to go for walks outside as well. I find it hard, you know, with working full time to really, truly do that. But that's another one of my goals too. So when you get that, it's really special and you can feel the impact of it. Absolutely. Now you've given some great tips there. I'm curious when you take these hot baths, have you ever fallen asleep in the bathtub? No. (laughs) <laughs> I have to admit I have. <laughs> I've often wondered if it, how, how long I would lay there if something didn't break me. I'd be a shriveled up prune. So, <laughs> right. All right. So, Dr. Vanessa, is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women? Well, I would just like to say that an important part of growth is to be around people that are doing things that are different than you. I realized a couple of years ago that I was in a bubble and I went to my bubble of work and then I came to my home bubble and then I had my friends bubble, mostly people that I met through my son's school. And we just, you know, you, you move around and picture yourself in this little bubble and popping that bubble and getting out of it. I attended a mastermind conference and that really changed things because I met people that were doing amazing things. They were writing books and they were speaking and they were helping other people and they weren't all 
in medicine, like all the people that I'm surrounded with. And it really opened my eyes and allowed me to kind of push the boundaries of comfort. So we get comfortable in our rut, in our, in our mm. path. And that's fine. And you might be super successful in your rut. But if you want to grow and create an amazing life, you need to get out of that comfort zone. And for me, that was doing things like, you know, writing a book, podcasting like this, doing interviews and speaking, things that make me kind of nervous, but that are really able to help me meet new people. Also taking on hobbies that are kind of a little bit scary. You know, I started aviation and thought that that would be a good path for me to just kind of travel and be do cool things with my family. But it turned out to be a passion. And the women that I've met in this group of um, of female aviators uh, called the 99s has been phenomenal. And, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So my, I guess my bubble is just getting bigger. And it's, it's so exciting. So I encourage everybody to do something that scares you a little bit. And then watch how enjoyable what it actually becomes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Dr. Vanessa, thank you so much for being with me today. I know you are a very busy woman trying to juggle all the things that you do and the incredible leadership role that you uh, serve in. And I particularly am appreciative for you being so open and vulnerable with some of your life journey. Really do appreciate it. Absolutely. I love how you're connecting powerful women together on this amazing platform. Thank you for having me. So Dr. Vanessa is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen, and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show at another powerful woman's story unfolds. 